Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to bullseye womp rats on my T16 back home. That was a lot of information, and this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy, recently disavowed by the U.S. government, who uses his special ops training to help others in trouble. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. Uh, And to recap... No episodes have been a great episode of television yet, and only one has been a great episode of Burn Notice. Exactly. Can we break this pattern? I guess you'll see. Uh, we're, also, not, we're not going to break the pattern. <laughs> also worth mentioning that B and C aren't mutually exclusive, but they are unique in how to measure them. A great episode of television has good writing and storytelling. Notable that no episodes have fulfilled that yet. But a great episode of Burn Notice, according to us, Bree and Chris, geniuses, has at least three of the following criterion. Number one, Michael Weston solves the weekly problem with spycraft rather than violence. Number two, Michael Weston's spy advice voiceover involves practical spy advice rather than passive spy observations. Number three, Michael Weston debuts or revisits a distinct alias. And number four, the show's sidekicks, Sam and Fiona, are used well, meaning that A, Fiona gets to blow something up and or use her explosives expertise, and or B, Sam gets to be peak Bruce Campbell. Remember, spoilers are coming up, so either watch the episodes along with us or shut up. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or you are Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or at our Twitter, burnnoticedpod. So this is Season 1, Episode 5, Family Business, a title that should have been last episode, but I guess is this episode for some reason. Also, the title of an okay Kanye West song. (laughs) Uh, this originally aired July 26th, 2007, and was once again written by series creator Matt Nix and directed by Sanford Bookstaver, who never directed for this show again, which is a shame because I like saying Sanford Bookstaver. That sounds like, like a, like a, a fantasy hero. Yeah, a fantasy hero. Or like, or like maybe like a fantasy like wizard mm-hmm. that like has a lot of books. Yeah. You know, like, I, I don't think, like, Sanford Bookstaver is, like, killing lots of goblins. I don't know, it could have been, he could be one of those, like, subversive fantasy heroes where it's, like, he's, like, a, a librarian who falls into the world of one of his favorite novels. That's true. Or it's, like, um, like, on the magicians. Um, I was thinking, like, on the librarians. I'm surprised those shows haven't had a crossover. I thought they were the same show for a very long time. I'm not gonna lie, so did I. There and I are... hated both. I try. I watched the pilot of both and fucking hated them. But I decided to make a podcast about Burn Notice. <laughs> and with that, let's talk about this episode. Let's talk about it. So in the cold open, uh, we have more Nate. Thank God. We didn't get enough of him last episode, where he was a very good and interesting character. I will say, I was like on Nate's side, not like the like. On like the the side of having the character last episode, because I like thought like he was used well there. Uh, not not in this one. No, no, he's just here, and like, and it 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 shows that even the plot doesn't super know why Nate is there because we meet up with him like three times in this episode, and it's all at like complete random outside of any important conversations. Yeah. But anyway, so the cold open features Nate, who calls Michael to pick him up at an airport where he's getting the shit kicked out of him. Uh, it turns out he took a job to help out a buddy, and it went south. And Michael and Nate argue about who should get the charger, the car, uh, because Nate thinks Not- it should be him. Oh, 
I thought this whole episode was about a phone charger. That makes so much more sense. Yeah. So so Nate gets the shit kicked out of him during a job that he took and then transitions that conversation to being like, hey, by the way, I want the car. And Michael's like, you can't have the car. It's my car. Mom said it's my car. And Nate's like, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. Dad liked me better and saw me more often. Give me the car. And Michael's like, no, it's my car. And Nate's like, fine. And then burn notice. Burn notice. <laughs> what if ever... They- Every episode when they did the title card should have decided. Somebody whispering. Honestly, I would fucking love that. I think it would really add an element to this show that it's been missing. I would come every time. <laughs> Disgusting. Oh, the other thing that's important, I guess, about the cold open is that Michael agrees to help Nate out with this job that he's mucked up if Nate agrees to clean up his act. That never happens. It doesn't happen, and also it feels like you should also ask to get paid because your assets were frozen, Michael. We haven't heard about that in a while, but it's true. Um, anyways, so then we go to a scene where Michael and Fiona are working on the car because everyone's a mechanic for some reason. And while Michael is complaining about his family, Fee finds a bug under the dashboard and she recognizes it as Sam's kind of bug. Sam makes a bug like that. Yeah, it's, it's, she knows his style is what she says, which doesn't mean anything. She gives us no explanation for like, he likes this type of bug or I know his wiring technique and it's slightly like, no, it's just, I know his style. Like, okay. I will say in defense of that, one thing that does happen sometimes in shows like this with like exposition where they, when they have to like exposit like an idea to the audience, it makes people like speak incredibly unnaturally about things that like they know like a lot about and like it could be that like they're all very familiar with bugs and they have an idea of what bug style is and like and like it would be like sort of weird for her to go into too much detail of like no this is sam's kind of bug because it does this sort of thing because they all actually have an idea in the back of their mind of what a sam style bug looks like my thing is that, like, good writing is in the specifics. And Burn Notice is That's notoriously, true. like, allergic to specifics. They're so bad at and, specifics. And, it, and I don't need her to give a monologue about all the ways that it's his bug. I just need her to say, like, look, you can tell from one detail. Yeah. Just give us one, any detail. See these wires? Sam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It's like good writing is specific. And no Burn Notice episode has been specific yet. No, it hasn't. Scenes have been specific. And there have been very good scenes in all of the episodes of Burn Notice that we've talked about. Like, we've we've genuinely enjoyed, like, multiple parts of these episodes. It's just, mm. holistically, they, like, get lazy and err on the side of boring, which is really unfortunate because they have so much to work with. Anyway, so Michael has, like, no reaction to this in scene. Michael remains completely cool the entire time. And is just like, don't worry about it. Um, I know it's there now. It's fine. Yeah. But then proceeds to be super passive aggressive the rest of the episode, I which mean, I do like a lot. No. what I get that. Because, like, Michael knows that Fee hates Sam. And so, like, he doesn't want to give her any fuel. Because, like, the worst, the thing that he doesn't want is them to get be even more at each other's Oh, no, totally. Like, and also, now that he knows there's a bug there, like, fighting with Fiona about Sam is probably a bad thing to be recorded. Exactly. And that, too. But I think also, like, he's just trying to keep her going. Like, yeah, no, it's fine. It doesn't matter. So now we're into the case of the week, the one that Nate fucked up. Uh, so Michael goes to meet Jake, who is the client of the week, played by Scott Michael Campbell, an actor who's been in literally every TV show. Like, I, I knew I recognized him, and so I went to, like, his IMDb page to look at where I knew him from, and it turns out, everywhere. He's from everywhere. Mm-hmm. So he's in everything. Um, and he has three first names. He has three first names. Campbell? Is Campbell in a first name? Who knows? Campbell Cherry. Campbell Cherry. I don't know. I can see that being like your yeah. ancestor's name. No, totally. Or like... Prospector Campbell very, Cherry. Or like a very, very like middle class suburban white boy. 
Yeah, I can see that. With his best friend, on, his best friend Hunter. Yeah, Hunter and Campbell, they play soccer together. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so Jake, our client of the week, works for airport security at this like small private airport. Uh, and his, his main job is logging planes and cargo manifest, which is important because he, uh, in this um, job, has befriended the Lebanese family who owns the airport. And Are they first, Lebanese? Well, there's a, con- a conversation about it later, which is confusing and makes no sense. But yeah. he describes them as they are a Lebanese family yeah. who owns this airport. And at first were just pals and they would give him like, you know, tickets to basketball games. And they would like go to dinner together. And it was just like a fun friend thing. And every once in a while they'd ask for like a small favor. But it didn't seem too bad until last week they asked him to keep an entire flight off of his manifest, which seemed extremely sketchy. And now he's nervous. It all feels very season two of The Wire. I have not seen The Wire. Audience. (laughs) It all feels very season two of The Wire. In fact, one of the guys in, like, one of the people that we meet later feels very much like Ziggy from The Wire to me. Bree doesn't know. I'm not talking to (laughs) Bree. Talking to you, the audience. Remember Ziggy from The Wire? He was the worst. He gave a bird... alcohol and then it died i mean i don't i don't hate this setup like i think this setup is actually pretty good like this the, the case of the week as a conceit is good especially because so the the extra wrinkle is not just that he's like something seedy is happening it's that when he tried to like say i don't feel comfortable with that they're like they threatened his pregnant wife and he's like yeah. oh shit all right i'm in too deep like so yeah. he's already basically accepted a bunch of bribes and money and so now he's in too deep to get out on his own and so he is called in uh the brothers weston the brothers weston because that's all the, i will say you want specifics we got specifics. This wife is pregnant. These these guys are Lebanese. Maybe. That's everything. Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. So, yeah, we're, we're getting lots of adjectives here. We are getting lots of adjectives. So then Nate and him get together, and Nate continues his B-plot of complaining about... Um, Nate and, and who? And Michael. Okay. I thought you meant the Jake or whatever. No, we stay with the main characters. Uh, so Michael and Weston... Michael and Weston. Michael and Weston. <laughs> Michael and Nate get... You know that a... great first name, Weston? <laughs> it is a good... It is a first name. He plays with Campbell and Hunter. <laughs> Campbell, Hunt, Hunter, and Weston. Uh, uh, anyways, uh, so the next scene is that Michael uh, picks up Nate and Nate continues to hassle him about their father's will because he's like, have you seen the will? I haven't seen the will. So we don't know if dad actually left you the car and I really want the car. And Nate's whole argument is that he took up with more crap and he rebuilt the engine and Michael tries to start the car and it doesn't start because Nate has taken a distributor cap. Exactly. And he says he'll get it back when they do a thing, which exactly. seems like an inconvenient time to do that when he has just gotten into the car. Like, why would you fuck up the car that you're about to get into? Well, because... He'll give him so we can have leverage. The whole point is that he's holding the car hostage. It's like saying, help me, and so I'll give you this tribute. Like, yeah. Yeah. The point is, I'm right. I won an argument, and it needs to be on. You like, won the audio. other. You won the Oleg argument a couple of episodes too. Yeah. Like, yeah, I cut out like most of the Oleg argument because like the argument is irrelevant. No, but <laughs> the, the point, point is, is we need to move forward. The point is, I'm right. Yeah. I, the point is, Chris watches these episodes much closer than me, apparently. Yes. Uh, which does not surprise me at all. Um, anyway, so uh, then uh, I guess the distributor cap gets given back because Mike then meets up with Sam for a recon. This is the first time we've seen Sam in the episode, which is important because um, Sam is complaining that the car is gross because they've been like working on it. And Michael passive aggressively like says that he's been fixing it. And Sam's like, oh, I could, I could help fix it. I'm a good fixer. And Michael goes, oh, are you, Sam? Are you? And it's, like, so bitchy and hilarious. It's so bitchy. So Michael is, like, dead-faced bitchy this whole episode, and I'm living for it. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, we don't get to see Michael, like, 
quietly annoyed a lot. Like, he's usually, like, confronted with something that's annoying to him, and then he has yeah. a little voiceover. But this is the first time, like, we're just stuck with him in this scene being a little bitch. Yeah. And I love it. Uh, and so while they're while they're having this, like, passive-aggressive conversation where Sam's like, I'm just offering to help, Mike, uh-huh. uh, we get introduced to Eli, who they're staking out. Eli is the dad-slash-boss of this yeah. operation. He is the most competent person that they have dealt with so far. Yes, he really is. Um, and we, we also learn the names of the sons, uh, Ari and Elon. Uh, Eli, the dad, is the one that kicked the shit out of the of Nate in the mm-hmm. beginning of the episode. Uh, they also have a, while they're like talking about like the family structure and everything, um, they have a short, confusing conversation about how the names sound Israeli, but the company and their client consider them Lebanese. Like they're like, the company is registered in Lebanon and our client thinks they're Lebanese. And then that's the end of the conversation. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We literally never mention it again. I'm like, why are we having this conversation? Also, Could they not find Lebanese actors? And so they're like, well, we're going to cast Israeli people and give them Israeli names, but we're not going to change the fact that they're Lebanese in a couple of details. Yeah, it's it's really weird. I don't know exactly. It was just such a bizarre detail and conversation that they have. Like, usually in any piece of media, every detail is important. Yeah. It's important either for a story reason for like a world building reason or like a character or, reason yeah for a character reason or it's like a joke yeah. you know and jokes don't always have to have like a story reason they're yeah, just yeah. like they're there to be funny exactly yeah because they're jokes yeah um but this has no basis in anything it's yeah. completely irrelevant like i don't if like it's not just throwaway like they have like, a conversation have, like i think they're trying to set up that like he's Mossad. yeah but, but then that just doesn't... be israeli exactly i don't know like if they like, if the idea is that like, oh, but if someone was looking at the script and being like, how does he know that they're Israeli? No one, no one knows what Israeli people look like. You should have him think that they're Lebanese and then later find out that they're Israeli. Like, but what remember, is their, their company is registered in Lebanon, which I is know, a detail we learn in this exchange. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make no, sense. No, it doesn't make sense. It's so stupid. Um, that we also learn uh, this the, this Lebanese slash Israeli person um, that anytime he comes out for a smoke, he does a perimeter sweep yeah. and notices Sam and Michael, which is the first time they've ever been noticed on a stakeout. Ever. Which is cool because it does show like this dude is competent. Exactly. And also like they may need to update their spy handbook. Yeah. Because he's Mossad. There's like a tradition, I feel like, in like American like spy and like cop shows where like if someone is going to be very competent it's because they're Mossad <laughs> and like I don't know if that's just like a hat tip to our very special relationship with Israel uh, but like yeah the easiest way to like establish quickly that someone is like a competent military person almost superhumanly competent is it's it, because they're Mossad or they're ex-Mossad specifically yeah. now that the boys have been made uh, it's Fee's turn. So Fee turns up the sexy and pretends to be... Uh, she she basically does the gag minus Sam, where she's been lied to by someone pretending to be rich. Yeah. And it's like, is this Hangar 8? The guy I met at a bar said I should meet him at Hangar 8 and he'd take me up in his private plane, which is a pretty good ploy. Like, Yeah, she yeah because she, she goes to the air. Yeah, hangar. she goes to the air hangar um, and like it basically snips around. And so she, she basically is just there to like be pretty and confused. Um, okay, and- I also, just really quickly, sure. and, like, I'm really, really riding the high of, like, being right earlier. Mm-hmm. And so I need to point out that it's Hangar 12. Anyways, so we meet, uh, while Fee is sort of wandering around Hangar 8 or 12, who can say? <laughs> 
um, she meets uh, Ari, the son who is labeled the player by our helpful lower third. Yeah. Uh, we also meet Elon, who does not get a lower third. No. He's mentioned by name multiple times and has, like, key plot moments, but we are never lower third introduced to him. No. Which I think is a mistake. <laughs> like, I think he just forgot. Because yeah. there's no other reason why he shouldn't get one. No, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, but Elon's also there. But anyway, so Fiona gets to, like, flirt with Ari the player because mm. he's the player. Yeah. So that's convenient. So she just sort of, like, prattles on and, like, wanders around and is like, can I have the bathroom? And they're like, no, you can't go to the bathroom. Yeah. And then the dad kicks her out. But as we learn from a really vague spy tip later on uh, in this podcast episode, uh, if you know what you're looking for, aggressive surveillance works. God. Cool, Michael. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, but we very quickly get the payoff to the, you know, if you know what you're looking for piece of advice, because Fee is like, I know what they're up to. They are gun runners. And she knows this because in the meeting with Nate and Michael, Fiona says that she recognized, quote, a special lubricant smell. It's, again, this is a situation talking about specifics and, like, the way that people who are in the know talk about it. Like, she would say the name of it. Like, she knows the name of this lubricant. Mm -hmm. It felt so weird and, like, lazy to just be like, there's special lubricant. Like, I mean, I, no one to talks be fair, that way. Yeah, no, no one talks that way. I liked it because it was something specific. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, I could tell they're gun runners and, like, left it at that. Like, she yeah. did say, like... I like we we were given a breadcrumb for there wasn't a lot to go on but yeah. because she has explosives expertise yeah. ah, she like could smell something like yeah. I liked that detail but you're right like what's the special lubricant yeah what is no, it for she wouldn't say special lubricant she would say what like it is she would say that good lube <laughs> good lube <laughs> anyways so she she also recognized the gun hey, hey on, babe I bought the special lubricant. <laughs> I got, yeah, the special lubricant. Uh, she also um, relates the brand of gun that Eli, bad boy daddy, has. And Michael's like, ugh, ex Mossad. Yeah. So this is where we learn that he's ex Mossad, which is why he's hyper competent, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so they talk to the client, who is now even more scared, because previously he didn't know. He just knew that, like, something sketchy was going on and they threatened him. But he didn't know what, like, the actual details of their business was right. so now that he knows like oh shit they're like smuggling guns into war zones oh uh, no that's guys with guns <laughs> of course exactly um but three three first name guy is a much better actor so i buy it from him um he wants to go to the police because now that he knows that there's something crazy but michael's like no 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 you're the only one that's actually done visible illegal shit because you don't know what you're doing. Like, it's just going to bring problems onto you. We need to figure out a solution that, you know, doesn't involve the police, um, or like, initially. Um, and we need to, like, set it up so that they are, like, found with their guns. Um, he also has done a little bit more recon and gives him a, like, newspaper clipping that shows how he got his security job, which is that the old airport security guy was mysteriously killed when all of the brakes in his car failed at the same time. So he's like, listen, you gonna die. We have to get you out of this delicately. Yeah. Um, the next step is to find the guns because they can't set them up with like the guns everywhere if they don't actually know where the guns are. Yeah, we need the guns. We need the guns. Gotta get those guns. Then there's another tense Sam and Michael stakeout. Uh, Sam brings up again the thing that he brought up last episode uh, that's finally getting a payoff, that he's getting pressure from the feds to give them more on Michael. But and he starts to like say like sound like he's gonna reveal something, but he kind of trails off because like they the bad guys that they're trying to follow sh show up, and Michael just goes like, "I guess we'll finish this conversation later." <laughs> Super passive 
aggressively. Again, delightful. Truly delightful. Um, and they, they're trailing the bad guys on the move, and then they end up in a part of town that's, like, so abandoned that they have to get out and walk. Which is actually a pretty good detail for, like, the bad guys. And it also adds a more interesting, like, tale. Because I feel like it occurred to me during this episode that so much of this show is just people in cars talking. Yeah. And, like, that's a cop show thing. That's, like, a detective thing. Or, like, um, a Jerry Seinfeld thing. Sure. Yeah. It's just, yeah, we want people to be out and doing active things because they're spies. Exactly. And so we finally get to do that. So they get out of the car. Sam is complaining a lot because he's an old fat man and doesn't like wandering around in the sun when he's not expecting it. You know, he's probably wearing flip flops. I think he is wearing flip flops. He's he's always wearing flip flops. Uh, And so that's in that's in Bruce Campbell's contract. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, And so they split up at one point and we get like a weird wandering around this like abandoned warehouse montage where the camera is super shaky. It's like so shaky that I think it's meant to be like they don't know what they're getting into yeah. well something could go wrong but really it's just sort of nauseating like, yeah it's the shaky cam it's shaky like... cam is hard but like this particular kind of shaky cam it wasn't even like there's not stuff going on it's just Michael is standing still or walking slowly in yeah. a direction and the camera's like Arr! I don't know bad job guy bad job sorry bookstaver I gotta yeah. I gotta call you out when you deserve it mm-hmm. Um, and then at one point at the end of this mo- uh, montage, the two brothers drive up, um, the one who deserved a lower third and the one who didn't. Exactly. And Michael uh, thinks he's about to get caught, so he like prepares for a fight, and yeah. then we get a commercial break. But then when we come back from commercial break, right as Michael's about to like beat the shit out of these two guys, um, Bruce Campbell comes with a rescue in like, probably my favorite scene of the episode, or one of my oh, favorite yeah, scenes definitely. of the episode. Like, because it's, I love it when Sam gets to be the alias guy because Bruce Campbell just like naturally has so much more charisma. Exactly. There's just so much more to work with when he does stuff like this. So basically, because they're at like this abandoned like warehouse space, Sam decides to like rescue Michael by creating a distraction where he's like a, a laid off factory worker and he's dra- day drunk and like throwing shit at the warehouse. So he's just making a scene, but like it was a very like cohesive, like mini alias. Yeah. And it was a really fun scene. And like, he'd like messed up his hair and like unbuttoned his shirt in a really specific way. What I love about like the show is that like every spy is also taken like, three UCB classes. Because, like, they're like, oh, it's like, okay, here's my character. He's, like, an angry, laid-off warehouse guy, and he's throwing bottles at the warehouse because he's angry because he got fired. And, like, and see. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's very good. He, It was a fun scene, and Michael, like, kind of, like, chuckles, even though he's mad at Sam, yeah. which means, like, aw, oh, I think was... they're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, then we have, oh, my, my favorite line is, like, as the guys are leaving, like, oh, we'll just leave this drunk, angry guy throwing stuff at our, our, our warehouse. I guess it's fine. And so they get out of the car, and, like, one of the things Sam is yelling is, like, strike three, you're fired! <laughs> That's good. <laughs> which just, is just a very I, funny line. I also do really like when the two brothers are there, because, uh, like, at one point, Sam's, like, Sam's like, oh, you got a gun, you want to shoot me? Go ahead, shoot me. I don't like, it's like, I got fired anyway, yada yada, shoot me. And like one of the brothers is like, do you want to shoot him? It's like, it's like, no, it's fine. It's like, I can shoot him, we can shoot him. Like, it's like, they're really jovial about it. It's actually really funny. Yeah, no, it's a good scene. Like, after the shaky cam stops, like, it's just like a fun little yeah. scene. And like, I like it when they make scenes, you know? I like, I like shows that have scenes in them. Mm-hmm. Where people make scenes in yeah. scenes. Um, so after this basically useless bit of reconnaissance because they don't learn anything from it. No, they learn nothing. We have another client meeting and Jake is starting to like come apart at the seams. Like Mm -hmm. their client is starting to get real nervous about this whole thing. He wants to send I like like scenes where people come apart at the seams. 
I think you're running a little too high. And we need to have a debate where I can thoroughly thwomp you so that we can bring you back down to normal levels. That's all I ever really want. <laughs> That's a good thwomping. Because he's getting so, like, nervous about this whole thing, he wants to, like, send his pregnant wife away to, like, keep her safe. And Michael's like... Oh, yeah, because that's not going to be suspicious at all. He's like, no, 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 no. We have to do this where you are not, like, implicated for anything going wrong. He's like, you have to still come out of this, like, as the good guy to these bad guys. Otherwise, regardless of what happens to them, they're going to get somebody to kill you. You have to play it cool. You have to chill out. Uh, we also learn that uh, the reason that Jake is so much more nervous is because there's another shipment going out soon. So, like, they're, like he's about to do, like, aid and abet another, like, supremely illegal thing. And Michael is like, he's like, well, what should I say? And Michael has this very weirdly sarcastic delivery of the line. He's like, so Jake's like, well, well what should I say? Like, they asked me to do another bad thing. Like, what should I do? And Michael goes, well, I think you should say yes. And then, like, walks away. And it's so, like condescending i liked it though why i don't know like because, it comes like, out of nowhere well no but i mean like because he's so but like the actual the line that he says is like you're like considering that all the other options will get you killed you should probably say yes but such a rude way to say that to a it's, man with a pregnant wife who's been threatened it's so inappropriate michael weston what are you doing i mean he's not good with people he's really not but also like it is sort of like Obviously, he should say, like, there's, like, no other thing he should do. But I I think he just needs to be, like, in that moment, I think he's less asking, like, should I say yes? And he's more asking, like, is it going to be okay if I say yes? But Michael Weston uh, doesn't understand nuance. No, he doesn't. And is like, yeah, idiot. (laughs) He is. So. uh, He's real bitchy in this episode. He's so bitchy. Which, overall, I like. Just in that scene, it, like, really rubbed me the wrong way. Because I'm like, dude relax um so now we're getting into the plan proper so we cut back to michael's apartment oh no no we're not so we cut to michael's apartment fridge from a fridge pov shot where we get to see that like all michael weston has is like some pickles and like a jar of mustard and one beer but no yogurt no yogurt there is okay this is a no yogurt episode there is no yogurt at any point in this episode mentioned or otherwise and i am livid it's our first Nogurt of the series, and I am not happy about it. Brie is convinced that Nogurt is funny. Nogurt is a great joke, and Chris has refused to acknowledge it all day, and honestly, it's making me question his dedication to this podcast. It's a great joke, and you're wrong. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Bruce Campbell is still complaining about having to walk around in the sun. Uh, he also recommends that Michael is going to have to, quote, do the spy thing and make a new friend. Which is funny that Bruce Campbell is like, hey, spy, do spy stuff, you dumbass. Which, honestly, he's he's so clearly the audience insert at this moment. Yeah. I'm like, thank you, Sam. Somebody tell this idiot to do spy things. Um, so they, they discuss that the new friend that Michael needs to make is the weak leak of the family, i.e. Ari, the yeah. playboy, or the player. Ziggy from season two of The Wire. Oh, that's the one who Ziggy is? Okay. Yeah. Um, so Fee sort of, now Fee is getting into the passive aggressiveness. And so when they're like, yeah, we should we should learn more about Ari and like figure out what his deal is. And Fee goes, we should bug his car. And then there's this like moment of silence where Michael is like eating a chip, but does it super slowly because he's like, doesn't know how this is going to resolve. And, and uh, Bruce Campbell's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll bug his car. See yeah. you guys later. Should bug his car. Um, but and then they, like, slap each other. It's like, okay. 
It's really cute. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a cute scene, but and it's also just more passive aggression, which honestly is very funny to me. Yeah. Passive aggression is at least an action versus just like nobody saying anything to each other until something explodes. That's true. I like the activeness of, of bitchiness. Uh, so we learn, so Sam does some digging on Ari and we find out his bar. <laughs> Not only his favorite bar, which is a thing that they learn about everyone, exactly. but also his like favorite wines and his favorite whatevers. Uh, and we find out all this information because uh, Sam is spying on uh, Ari, who's with his girlfriend, Debbie. Yeah. A hilarious name. I don't know why, but Debbie just struck me as like such a bizarrely out of place name. It does. My mom's name is Debbie. Debbie is a lot. Debbie is a lot. I kind of love Debbie. I love Debbie too. Um, I love that also that her arc ends on like a flip phone screen. Yes. Just so Debbie. Anyway, so she and Ari are out. This is, there's this, this scene happened. This is a couple of times in this episode where this is the first episode. I think that we have multiple scenes without any of the main cast that aren't explicitly being spied on. Like, there's multiple scenes where we get Ari's POV yeah. without the main cast being around, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that, that's true. But Ari and Debbie are, like, arguing because Debbie's mad that Ari, a 30-year-old man, like, needs daddy's permission to do anything. Yeah. At the end of the scene, we see Sam in kind of an ostentatious outfit. Um, the first hint that's, you know, that our buddy is going to be his own alias someday. Yeah. Uh, plants a bug in the car. Yeah. So he's very excited about this bug at the car, and um, they he comes back to the apartment after Fee and Michael have gone to buy groceries. But in fact, it's not groceries; it's stuff to make C four and fake C four. Yeah. So they're so they basically decided to make Michael into an arms dealer. They're basically playing the same thing that they did in Identity, which yeah. is Michael becomes like a potential collaborator exactly. for a group of of bad guys, and he finds a weak link in the bad guy chain yeah. to insert himself. A guy like who like. He feels like he's kind of being shit on his own family, and so he wants to make his own deal to prove that he's, like, a man. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's... Like Ziggy in season two of The Wire. <laughs> okay. So that's their ploy. Uh, so to start off, they need to, like, give Michael a supply worthy of an arms dealer, worthy of, like, the yeah. attention. From Ziggy, Ari, yeah. what have you. Uh, so we learn that um, they're making C4 with fondant, which Michael pronounces f- uh, fondant. Fondant. Like, he says it in such a weird way. Like, he's never seen this word before. And, like, because he's like, which, uh, it, it, you can which, make it with icing sugar. Or what some bakers refer to as fondant. And he's also, I don't think, is not necessarily what fondant fondant is. No, I'm saying Yeah, it. no, it's not just icing it's sugar. It's not just, it's, like, icing. It's, like, a specific kind of thing. Like, Michael has clearly not watched Cake Boss. Uh, we also get to watch Fiona make actual C4, which they conveniently leave out some of the ingredients of yes. for the television audience. And some other stuff that I don't even know about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I really liked this scene because, like, it, it's a fun little scene where they're all, like, doing arts and crafts. Bruce yeah. Campbell is like, ooh, are you done with that? Can I lick it? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, knock yourself out, which is, like, a cute little Bruce Campbell moment. Yeah. But then Fiona is, like, mixing dangerous chemicals to make explosives and yeah. is also, like, aggressively flirting. Yeah. Because, uh, she's like how's it going it, like you know how, how it, it, are you making it good and she's like yeah it's like dangerous and volatile remind you of anyone Christ. and he just sort of like giggles and moves away but it's yeah. like kind of a hot scene it's like she's making explosives and like flirting really aggressively but like she's like so in her element i don't know something struck me about that like there's a couple of you like watching episode. a woman bake Bombs, specifically. Bombs. I just like watching a woman in her element feeling herself. Yeah. And her boring-ass man. Her boring-ass man. <laughs> I don't know. There's a couple of hot scenes in this episode where I'm like, I'm starting yeah, to they, they, like, they play it up a little bit in, like, later episodes. Like, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling it now. Uh, so now that the fake bomb stuff has been made, we head to Mom's house for the first time in the episode. Yeah. Do you have something? No, I was just thinking about, like, if there should have been a gag where Sam tried to eat, The, like, the bomb. fake C4? Yeah. That would have no, been No, no, funny. tried to eat, like, real bombs. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The real C4. Yeah. That would have been funny. Oh, oh, the other thing, this is, I we can't move on without talking about it. The name of Michael's alias for this episode is Steve Remington. Yes. An incredible name. An incredible name. That sounds aggressively fake. It sounds so fake. I love it. And then, like, and Sam even, like, cops to that. Like, he, like, he cops to it saying that he's having fun. He's like, I gotta have fun somehow, Mike. Yeah. Um, anyways. Which, again, like, that's not a good time no. to have fun. It's super not. But it's, it's also, like, I, I buy it for Sam. Well, yeah, no, because this is he's, the same guy the Cagney and, and, and Lacey a couple episodes ago. He's mm-hmm. like... Yeah. I, I, it's like I when they used to Bruce, do that all the time on Supernatural. Yeah. I think Bruce Campbell also has some, like, dangerously chaotic energy, similar to Fiona. Yeah. They just have That's some, why they have... But his chaotic energy is, like, goofs yes. <laughs> that are, like, slightly dangerous. Yeah. And her chaotic energy is murder. Yeah. That's slightly goofy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love them. So we go to Michael's mom's house for the first time because we have to check in with Nate, even though we haven't seen him in many, many scenes. I don't think we ever see him with the client until no. like the very end. This is this is why I'm saying that like Nate feels like super like an afterthought in this episode. Oh, he does. 100%. And it also it it occurred to me as I was watching this, I was like trying to find a theme to it, but the problem is is that it feels like a lot of this should have been dealt with last episode where Nate was introduced because yeah. it would make sense that the first thing that they talk about is not some random guy they went to high school with, but like the fact that, you know, Michael's back in Miami and the first thing he does is takes this car that Nate wants yeah. that's from his dad and they both have weird relationships with their dad. Like yeah. that feels like something that made more sense for the first time the brother's on the scene. I mean, like I think they felt like they had to introduce Nate as a person. I mean, they they could have, with this episode, this episode, honestly, would be a better introduction to Nate with a little bit more integration. Yeah, which I'm betting that a lot of this episode was written before they knew that Nate was going to be in it. Yeah, for real. Because, like, Nate does not need to be in it. And this B-plot feels, like, really last minute. Yeah. Because we mention it, like, three times. Like, the episode where uh, he was deciding whether or not to take the car was a really well-paced and plotted episode. Despite the fact that it was executed poorly. Yeah. The there was a an ongoing concern about the car and what things would need were needed to like there was a lot get of, the car like there was a lot going like into a lot it. of like thematic integration into yeah like the plotting and also it, it was mentioned more than three times in the episode like yeah. it was mentioned at least every other scene in some way or another and it always felt like it was moving forward but we haven't seen Nate for like twenty minutes yeah and now they're at the mom's house and he's like where's the will mom I gotta find the will um their mom is mad because they're you know fighting about the car uh, also Nate makes some sort of shitty notice like because he's like looking through old files in the house i guess and it's like wow on paper you seem like more of a screw-up than me michael you stole more cars uh before you were 18 than i have my whole life and then michael very like callously is like how do you think we got groceries when dad wasn't around and then nate shuts the fuck up Mm -hmm. because we can't just let michael have been kind of a shitty kid he had to have been a shitty kid in order to save his family exactly michael has always had honor even when he was a shitty kid Mm -hmm. So, which, like, fine, but also, honestly, a more boring choice. I would have liked it if Michael had an actual bad boy phase, you know, where he, like, yeah. started, like, Nate, but then, like, decided he needed to, like, turn his life around. Yeah. No, that, that could have been interesting, yeah. That could have been way more interesting. It would also given him a little bit more to yeah. him. But, like, he's, they just went with the, like, boring, like, Superman option. Yeah. Which is, like, he's just always had honor 
and has always, you know, made slightly hard decisions for honor and justice and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't know, boring choice. Uh, So uh, the, they, they once again asked the mom, like, where's the will? Why did dad give the car to Nate? Or why, why didn't the car, dad, why didn't the car choose to go to Nate? Yeah. They should have put it in the middle of the street and go, come here, boy, come here. Once again, Michael's mom uses the phrase, he wanted you to have something to remember him by, to Michael. Yeah. Which is noteworthy because we find out later in the episode that she's, like, fully lying. So this is just the line that she's come up with. Yeah. But it also is not addressed, like, why he wouldn't want his other son that he, like, spent more time with to remember him. Well, Nate is garbage. Sure. And it's an unspoken thing that everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> but it feels weird that his mom would pointedly, like, say something like that. Anyways, um, Steve Remington also needs to borrow uh, some old cufflinks and a cigarette case. From the dad, so that's how we that's how we get rich. out of it. Yeah, exactly, because that's how we get out of that scene. I just like saying this, the name Steve Remington. Steve Remington. So anyway, Steve goes to the club, uh, and in the most boring tone of voice possible, orders a very specific kind of wine that he knows that Ari, who's standing right next to him, will find appealing. Right. But like the way that he orders it is so dry. Like I want a bottle well, of this kind of wine. Well, it's a dry wine. Ugh. Um, and it, like, it turns out that he can't get it by the glass. He has to get it by the bottle. And Ari's like, Ooh, good glass. And Michael's like, well, yeah, well, it's very expensive. And he's, he's like, do <laughs> you want to try it? This, the, to, to me, the craziest thing about this moment is that like, he's trying to like seem like rich and knowledgeable about wine. And, but then he kind of like haggles about this. So, like, he's like, I want this. I want your really expensive wine. I only want a glass though. And they're like, it's like, we only do the bottle. I'm like, why not the bottle? Like, if it was like that, which is like, he should have been like, just, he should have just like doubled down, like, give me the bottle. It's like. Well, I think the idea is that he was there to be alone and you only need one glass of wine if you're going to be there alone. You don't. <laughs> but once he makes a new friend, he's like, oh, maybe having a bottle won't be so bad. Like, the idea is that it needs to seem like he's not planning to be there for a while. Mm. Like, he's trying to, you know, yeah. get invited over, essentially. Which he does. So, the Ari invites him to sit with him and Debbie. And uh, they drink wine and they have a good time. Um, and Steve schmoozes and dances yeah. with Debbie. Which uh, turns out to be a bad decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it works a little bit too well. And Debbie starts getting a little handsy. Oh, um, so, around the time that Debbie starts getting handsy, Steve's like, alright, I gotta get out of this situation. And so, he reveals that maybe their meeting isn't purely by coincidence. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to refer to him as Steve anytime he is in the Steve Remington persona. Persona, yeah. It is such a distinct alias. Our audience, I hope, will not be confused. I don't care. Um, you still like Steve Mike. Mike. <laughs> Michael Steve. Michael Steve. Michael Steve Remington. Mike. Michael Remington. <laughs> Anyways, so basically he does... Or I got it, I got it. Steve Remington, a spy. <laughs> sure. So Steve Remington, a spy, basically do, does the thing that he does uh, in Identity in episode two, where he's like, I have some business, and I heard you were the man to do it with. Uh, better than all your other family. I hear you're the guy that has, like, the big ideas. So he basically yeah. just kisses some ass and is like, hey, yeah. you want to go into business? And Ari's like, I don't know, maybe. I hear you got the big dick in the family. Mm-hmm. And then his brother has been calling him all night and, like, appears at the club. And so Michael uh, Batman's away. But before um, he does... This is Ari's brother. Yeah, Ari's brother, who's not... Elon? It doesn't matter. He doesn't get it. <laughs> exactly. But not Michael's brother. No. Oh, you're right. There are multiple brothers there in this multiple... episode. There's this two brother heavy episodes. Well, they're both Nate episodes, so they're gotta be parallels. <sighs> Fuck me. Uh, Family's the most important thing. So before Michael slash Steve Remington, you can't turn your back on your family. Before Michael slash Steve Remington leaves the situation, he slips Ari a note that says like, "Meet me at midnight," and it's very cool. Well, he slips him 
a card yeah, his, that says his, Steve Remington. Yeah, his Steve Remington business card that just has his name and his number, but then on the back he like scrawls out yeah, like 1 a.m. 1 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although the 1 a.m. doesn't tell him where to meet him. No, it does not. Uh, but then it's 1 a.m. and uh, Michael offers the fondant and says like, here's my stash. Uh, but remember that Fee made the correct C4 so that he could do a little demonstration. And he, like, they're in, like, a junkyard. And so yeah. Michael, like, puts this actual C4 into, like, a junkyard car and, like, walks a little bit away from it, blows it up, stands perfectly still as, like, the explosion is behind him. It's very good and very burn notice. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> Um, the next day, Fee and Michael are getting ready, uh, and it's revealed that Debbie has tried to call Steve Remington five times. So she met him last night, I guess got his number from her boyfriend, and, like, has been calling him nonstop. But anyway, so it's, like, this very kind of nice, like, intimate scene. Where, you know, it's a very classic, like, romantic partner scene where they're, yeah. like, the woman is helping the man, like, put all of his accoutrement on. Yeah. His tie, his cufflinks, all that stuff. And she's sort of teasing him, like... Putting his armor on, sort of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's sort of teasing him, like, oh, aren't you a little bit, like, tempted by this Debbie chick and he's like uh, he specific. I, I wrote it down because it was sort of a sweet line he was like if he wants a beautiful woman to mess up his life he could do a lot better and then they yeah. kind of like give each other a meaningful look and then mm-hmm. we move away but again a very kind of hot scene I'm starting to believe this chemistry what's interesting about it, it but I feel like before this episode like the line on them has been like she wants him but he like is all business and like this is the first episode where it's felt like, no, no, he 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 wants to fuck too. He wants to fuck, mm-hmm. but like too. But yeah. like that has not been the case. I but Michael like. Weston is bad at multitasking. Yes. <laughs> so, anyways, but yeah, this is the first like actually like hot episode between them. So I'm starting to dig it. Then he has more wine bro time with Ari, um, and insists on seeing their setup before he like will agree to a deal. Because they need to, they need to see what the guns. Yeah, because because like the the overriding thing is they still need to find the guns to set up the guys. Yeah. But Ari's like, no, Daddy wouldn't let me. And Steve Remington's like, well, then maybe Daddy uh, doesn't want my business. Yeah, maybe I should be your daddy. Exactly. Show me your guns. <laughs> so and then he does again the exact same thing he does in Identity, which he's like, fine, I'll just walk away. And then the guy's like, no, come meet me tomorrow. It's all Moby. It actually. It makes more sense here, I think, than Identity, mm-hmm. because, like, this guy has been set up as being kind of dumb mm-hmm. and, like, and, and, and needing to prove something. Exactly. Yeah. Like, the other guy had a successful scam going and everything was working fine. This guy is, like, they, like, they literally found the weak link. Like, it would be, like, if in Identity he had, you know, business seduced the boy. Yeah. The 12-year-old, yeah. The, the, the regular brunette. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, then... Michael and Sam go get lunch and listen to the bug in Ari's car. And it sounds like Ari is starting to be really convinced by this Steve Remington chap. Mm-hmm. Michael then passive aggressively says that it just goes to show that a car isn't a safe place for a conversation. And Sam finally like, oh, that's what's going on. He's like, I'm sorry, Mike. But as you know, as I've mentioned multiple times during this and last episode, the feds are up my ass, but I only planted the bug in your car in a really obvious way so that you would find it, but also because they wanted me to break into your house and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. You know that this is my style. Yeah, you know that this is my style. You know, I knew you would recognize it. Um, I couldn't make it more obvious. Uh, and so he's like, but I, you know, I didn't want to... He was a boy... It was a bug. <laughs> it not any more obvious. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yeah. And so Sam basically ends it by saying, like, but they wanted me to break into your house. And Michael goes, so why don't you? And stands up. And he's like, excuse me? That's a crazy way to end a conversation. And basically Michael is, like, basically giving him permission. Uh, permission to break into his house and also telling him specifically where in his house to look for something that's juicy enough but, like, useless enough that it won't yeah. actually affect their, like, ongoing shit. So I guess that's resolved now. Then we cut to a scene with uh, Jake and the bad boys discussing an upcoming deal. Jake and the bad boys. Jake and the bad boys. Uh, our client, Jake, and the um, Israeli slash... Uh, what are they supposed to be? Lebanese. Lebanese, yeah. They, the Israeli slash Lebanese people. Um, Jake is starting to look really nervous, and Ari is impatient because he wants to go meet uh, up with Steve Remington, and so he, like, cold cocks him with a gun because uh, he's like, yeah. you nervous? Don't. And then the scene is over. It's like a very short scene. It's a very short scene. The only thing it's there to do is to show that like the bad guys are starting to get nervous about Jake being so nervous. And Ari is a little bit violent, so we shouldn't feel bad about setting him up. Yeah, exactly. That's the only reason that this 10 second scene is in here. Then Michael slash Steve is hanging out at the club waiting for Ari because we know from the previous 10 second scene that Ari is late meeting him. When Debbie appears... And she also has a very obvious mic pack as she sidles up to him. Yeah. It's like extremely like present in the scene. She wants that D and burn noticed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Michael does not. She wants. She wants. Never mind. <laughs> I was trying to make it work and I couldn't quite make it work. That's fine. So was Debbie. Yeah. So so Debbie is seductively saying, "I want to see your gun," and then just like fully grabs his crotch. And Michael, not moving, goes, "That's not my gun." Which is a crazy thing to say at that point. Yeah. Maybe move away. Or just say, oh, no, thank you, my dear. Or something like that. But he just, like, p- like passively... <laughs> that feels like a Steve Remington thing, right? No, thank you, my dear. No, thank you, my dear. <laughs> please, uh, no, please remove your hand from my penis. I am not in the mood this evening. <laughs> Perhaps you'll call me... In a fortnight, and I will be more in the mood. <laughs> so he doesn't do any of that. He just sits there, being groped, and says, that's not my gun. Uh, and then Ari appears. Because I am Steve Remington. <laughs> so Ari appears at just the wrong moment, and he's like, Debbie, go away. And Debbie's like, fine, and leaves. <laughs> and then Ari, like... Point, pulls a gun on Michael and it's like, I know your secret. And we're like, oh shit, he knows his secret. Right. And then it turns out that the secret that he actually knows or thinks he knows is that he's actually only in this for Debbie because Debbie's such a catch. No offense to Debbie's out there, but Debbie, really? That's the secret? That's why you decided to do a C4 deal is because he wants Debbie? Sure, Ari. I love you, Mom. <laughs> uh, so uh, Michael basically is like, he, in his little spy voiceover, he's like, when your cover is blown, you basically want to like vamp until you can figure out what parts of it are blown. And then you just cover it up with a bigger lie. So basically his bigger lie is he bursts into laughter and is like, oh my gosh, you set me up. You sent her over to me, huh? You wanted to see how I do under pressure. Well, how'd I do, bud? Did I do good? And Ari's like, yeah, I definitely did that. In a kind of funny moment of, like, yeah. facial comedy. Like, exactly. The yeah. guy that plays Ari is pretty fun. No, yeah, he's good. I enjoyed him a lot. No, he's a good ziggy. <laughs> and so basically Michael is, like, still laughing and is like, so do I get to see the operation? And Ari goes, yeah, okay. And is just fine with it. Exactly, yeah, because, like, he's so caught off guard. But he's like, 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. So then he takes Michael uh, to the warehouse, which just looks like a um, storage unit. Yeah, it does. So it's just a storage unit of guns. Michael touches them and is like, cool, guns. here they are. Uh, then we move I on. I just wanted to make sure that you had guns mm-hmm. in a place. Uh, but the only important thing about this scene is that he also he learns that they, uh, the Lebanese slash Israeli people, have cops on their payroll. Yeah. So the the plan to just set them up with some guns might not work as effectively as they'd hoped. Exactly, so they need yeah. to change tactics. Cut to uh, Jake, who is now extremely freaked out. Because not only, you know, is he doing, like, extra illegal stuff relating to guns, but also he can't go to the police, and he's very unhappy about it. Michael decides that now that, like, they've learned this information about the cops, that they need to leak some of Ari's after-school activities. Yeah. I think it's time to, to turn them on each other. So in, Like an identity. It's the same plot. It really is. Like, the whole time, I'm like, guys, it's your first five episodes. You couldn't come up with five unique plot lines for the spy. So in a very like dangerous sort of ploy, they basically send Jake in to pull a little bit of a con of his own. Yeah. And so basically the story that they're going with is that Steve Remington has been trolling around the airport, like telling Jake that he owns him and he knows all this information about him and all the the bad guys he works for. And he's like, yeah, this is my operation now. What's up? And you know, Jake is pretending like he's really upset and freaked out. Like, you know, who's this other dude you brought into this? I thought it was just you guys in the Lebanese slash... He said he knew Ari. He kept talking about Ari. (laughs) Yeah. He mentioned that him and Ari are best friends. Exactly. (laughs) That they're blood brothers and cock cousins and, you know, what have you. Kept talking about Entourage. (laughs) (laughs) Is Entourage talking about cock cousins, probably. Isn't there a guy on Entourage named Ari? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you're right. Anyways. I don't know. I've never watched an episode of Entourage. Neither have I. Maybe we should do an Entourage podcast. We really shouldn't. I <laughs> I mean... I, we shouldn't... Here's perfectly honest. We should not do an Entourage podcast because I think you would like Entourage too much. That could be a very funny reveal. <laughs> anyways so uh the plan works perfectly the dad gets very upset and like very quickly and and again in a very funny performance Ari is like his dad's like well well, what did you tell him what does he actually know he's like well no he's just a a friend who's doing a deal with me and he's like what did you tell him he's like well I maybe showed him the did you show him the guns yeah I maybe showed him the guns I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like as the dad is yelling like very valid questions at him like Ari's responses to all of it is just they're very like sheepish and funny and yeah. weird. He's a more entertaining Ziggy than Ziggy. Ziggy is the worst. So, like, as this scene is going on, we also cut to Sam, who's just disposing of all the guns in, like, a river. Yeah. In, like, broad daylight. Yeah, he's just got, like, guns. Because, like, well, yeah, because, like, he tells them that he showed them the warehouse and they run to the warehouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, so they, they're, they're worried that Steve Remington knows where the guns are because he does know where the guns are. Even though he was blindfolded, yeah. he can't possibly have an accomplice. Yeah. So they run to the, the gun warehouse and it's empty, but all except for one item, which is Steve Remington's card. Yes. Which is a very, very funny detail. It is. I'm really loving Steve Remington. Steve Remington's good. Steve Remington as a person isn't much, but no. Steve Remington as an idea. Exactly. Is great. Uh, and so then, yeah, so we cut to Sam, like, disposing of all the guns in the river, yeah. and, which is, like, very anti-environmental. Like, it feels yeah. like maybe do something else with them. I mean, like, it's, I don't know what to do with Bury them. them in the desert. I don't know. That's a good idea. I, don't I mean, just throwing, idea. like, a fuck ton of guns into one point in a river, like... Someone's gonna find those motherfuckers. It's not those. All not these look, fuck, All the fish are gonna shoot each other now. I mean, like, I just feel like it's not that. Sh- like, it's kind of a shallow river, from what I could see, and also it just feels, you know, not good for the environment to have a bunch of guns in the river. 
I feel like there's worse things that you can dump on the ocean. Just because there's worse things. Like, I punched you in the face, but I could have slapped you in the balls. That's fair. <laughs> don't, give me, don't give me that environmental relativism bullshit. I mean, that's fair, but I don't think, like, throwing guns in the river would actually have, like, a, envir- like a large environmental impact. More than even like chemi- like other chemicals or something. I don't know. We d- I don't know enough about. I guns feel like to I feel like this. coral would just form around. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I also think if you buried the guns, that would be worse for the soil than it would be for the earth. Well, if it's in the desert. Also, if it's in the desert, they get real hot and they just like explode. Maybe. That's not how guns work. If there's no bullets in them, they don't explode. I'm assuming they all have bullets in them. <laughs> Why? That doesn't make any sense. I would be so unsafe to ship. No gun runner would leave bullets in the chamber of the guns that they're shipping. That's fair. Anyways, whether or not this is a good disposal method remains to be seen. But the bad guys are freaked out that some, you know, ghost of a man, Steve Remington, is after them. So they leave in a hurry, but they leave without Debbie, which we find out because of Ari's discarded flip phone, uh, which has a call from Debbie at the very end, which is just a very funny end to that, that, like, whole plot line. Poor Debbie. And then the episode's over? No, there's, like, two or three more things that happen. I had the distinct feeling watching this episode when we got to this point where I like looked at the like the time and realized that the episode was almost done. And that was crazy to me because it didn't feel like anything happened. Yeah, no, it, it was a very, very strangely paced episode. Yeah, it felt like we were about to come into like the midpoint twist or something. It felt like we were like, it, every everything that happened felt like set up and then suddenly they were leaving and I was like, Oh, the episode's over. Well, that's kind of how I felt with the last two episodes, is that, like, the conflict resolves very, like, anticlimactically. Oh, well, yeah, same thing. But, I mean, especially in this episode, it just really Well, yeah, because like... the last episode was at least better plotted, and, like, yeah. there were fun things happening. In this episode, it was just sort of bizarre. Yeah. There no, were really it... solid individual scenes, but none of it felt connected. No, it didn't, yeah. And it just, like, everything felt, like, set up, and there's just... It just stopped. Yeah, no. There, there wasn't enough follow-through. So the last couple of things that happened, though, that we have to resolve is that Michael tells, like, the good-ish news to the client, but he also, like, he, he makes it very clear to them that they can that the, the Levities guys can never know that they were set up, that it was a, that, that it was a con. Uh, otherwise, like, he'll definitely kill him. And, like, the end of the scene is like, well, speakers keep families together. But I, I was kind of unclear with, like, what specifically this man and his wife were meant to do to keep this secret. Like, other than texting Ari, like, lol, gotcha. What, like, what are they going to do to, like, his... ruin the ghost of Steve Remington? Okay, but his his thumb was on the send button. <laughs> you don't understand. I don't know. It just seemed like a weirdly ominous end of episode to also give them nothing to go on. Exactly, yeah. It just Like, it, it felt like the issue was over. Like, it was like a warning to the audience or, like... Like, you're going to be in danger for the rest of your life. Probably. Somehow. So then Sam meets with the FBI and having, you know, broken, quote unquote, into Michael's apartment, hands over the document that Michael pre-cleared with him. And it's just like the copy of his burn notice. And they're like, he shouldn't have this. But also, it's not our problem anymore. We're leaving. Thank God, because we're bad actors. So the FBI guys leave and Sam's like, well, wait, well, who's going to replace you? And they're like, I don't know, but it sounds like a big deal. And Sam's like, okay, bye. And then they give him too much money on his tab, and he, with this new money, uh, meets a woman. And I think that she comes back. I think this is his new girlfriend, who he, like, lives with for a couple of episodes. And who, like, has a name and, like, you know, characterization and stuff. Yeah. I think that's who she is. Definitely has a name. She definitely has a name, probably. 
And uh, so then Sam's scene is Characterization over. remains to be seen. Yeah, exactly. So Sam's scene is over, and we have the final scene of the episode, which is at uh, back at Mom's house, where they're finally reading the will. And they discover there's nothing in the will about who gets the car. And they're like, Mom, what? And she's like, well, since Nate got to spend more time with him, I thought Michael should have the car, which is like, once again, a fundamental like misreading of how the relationship between everyone here works. Yeah. The moments during which the writers decide to let her be like aware of what's happening seem to be so random. This, like, is, this is very true. Like even in the middle of this episode, when Michael is like guilting Nate about, you know, making fun of him for stealing cars, like, no, I had to get groceries when dad wasn't around. And like Nate looks at his mom for like confirmation. She's like, yeah, that happened. Yeah. So like sometimes she's willing to admit stuff, but yeah. sometimes she's not. And it completely did. It does feel inconsistent. It feels super inconsistent. And this is my problem is that I'm not upset that she is kind of a manipulative, shitty person. And I'm not upset that Nate is a manipulative, shitty person. It just feels like they aren't consistent in like when and why they are shitty. Yeah. And there seems to be nothing about them outside of the shittiness. Yeah. Like, the mom has a little bit more because we see her more often, so it, like, naturally we get more characterization for her. But, like, just the lack of nuance in these characters is so disappointing. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be this way. Like, there is so much interesting, rich story that they've brought up textually, but that is just what it is. There's nothing underneath. Like, for a yeah. show about a spy, there aren't very many layers to people. No. And that's seems like a missed opportunity. Uh, and yeah, so basically the episode ends with a kind of gag moment after this sort of like this, this re realization that the mom has lied, that the, the car wasn't going to any of either of them, but she decided Michael deserved it. Yeah. Um, probably in her mind, less about her wanting him to think that his dad remembered him and more that like it would tie him to her because yeah. now that he's back in town, like having his dad's car is going to make him think about her more often, which yeah. means he'll come around more often. Um, which I'm fine with if they like made that more explicit. It's also like one thing that just feels weird to me was that like at no point when, whenever she was like, your dad wanted you to have it. I didn't think he had written it in the will. It sent him, I, it always just sounded more like, well, you always said that you should have it, you know? Yeah. It was never like a thing. Like it was always it, weird that they were like pivoted to like, oh no, he wrote in the will. Well, but you, but you know that thing about compulsive gamblers, they wanted it in writing. That's true. Okay. Uh, anyway, so like, they're the uh, Michael's finally like, you know what? Fine, Nate, you can have the car. It sucks, anyways. And Nate's like, no, 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 no. Let's flip for it. So they flip a coin, and Michael wins, and it's very anticlimactic. And then Nate gives him a very weird long hug and walks away. And his mom's like, uh, their mom is finally like, oh, well, sometimes he can be so sweet. And Michael takes a beat and goes, he just stole my wallet. And then like leaves after Nate. Yeah. And the mom is just left holding like two drinks in this garage, empty garage with the car, being like, womp womp. Ba, 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 da, ba. <laughs> yeah. It was a very, like, gaggy ending yeah. <laughs> to an, a, a scene and episode that did not feel very gag-like. Yeah, it's weird. It was tonally all over the place. Very much. Also, was I the only one who expected it to be, like, a, some sort of, like, rigged coin or something? Yeah! That's what I thought would happen. Like, I thought Michael would reveal to somebody that it was rigged. But no, he just won. Yeah. Convenient. Ha. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. He's like a there was spy. no there should... was there was no negotiation there was no, no anything it was just let's flip a coin oh good it worked out and in favor like, of our protagonist and then like I, Nate and I guess like Nate was stealing the wallet but like the wallet's not nearly as good as a car mm -mm. and like it's the idea of, like that because he seemed really it's like oh you won the coin toss yeah it was just like it was such a small petty reaction to something that he probably could have made a way bigger stink about exactly it, which really... was inconsistent for Nate yeah 
Yeah, again, it does. This episode had so many really big highs, but so much of it was spent in the I lows. Mean, yeah, I mean, there was great a lot. Sam stuff, great There's... Fiona stuff, Steve Remington. I mean, like the Fiona stuff was pretty good. I like the Sam scene, but like overall, it was just like yeah, no, it was a bad episode. No, like it was objectively a bad yeah. episode, and it's such a letdown because last episode, despite not being like a great episode of television, was a fun episode. Of yeah, yeah, we enjoyed watching last week's episode. Exactly, like the plot was engaging, and even if it ended kind of anticlimactically, like overall, I think we were a lot more engaged yeah. with the case of the week. And this case of the week could have been good. It was just so weirdly paced. And it just, it was such a letdown. So let's briefly go through some of these spy tips uh, before we wrap up this episode. So spy tip number one, there's a good reason spies keep work away from their families. Once the family knows, there's trouble. Best case, they're scared. Worst case, they think they can get into trouble and you'll bail them out. I mean, yeah, yeah, this is not a spy tip. No, it's, it's, anytime he talks about family, it's always just like a vague observation. But he says the word spy, so we're supposed to think like, oh, cool, it's in theme. Um, number two, in gathering intel, little things can tell you a lot. A type flight alarms, uh, and then he like lists some things that he noticed, but then he never tells you what he knows about it. Yeah. Because we don't learn that the guy is ex-Massad until like three scenes later. So these little things that tell him a lot are just little things that tell him nothing. They tell, they tell you that they have good security. Yeah. No fucking shit. Yeah, exactly. It's nothing. It's it's getting too hot, and I have way less patience for him than normal. Yeah, no, uh, it's very hot. It's very hot in this room. Um, number three, more aggressive intelligence gathering is delicate. This is in reference to Fiona going in and just like, yeah, yeah. you know, exactly. I need a bathroom. Where's your lubricant? So <laughs> more aggressive intelligence gathering is delicate, but someone who knows what to look for can find it a lot. If you know what to look for, a bunch of little things can tell you everything you need to know. Again, it's the same tip as before. It's exactly. just over a different scene. Cool, Michael. Uh, number four, one cheap security measure is working in an area with low to no traffic. Any would-be followers who don't want to get spotted are forced to get out of their cars and walk. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's I think that's practical. Maybe not practical for spies, but practical for bad guys. Yeah. That makes sense. And maybe like a safe Bad house. guys also watch Burn Notice. <laughs> uh, so I like that one. And I, I also liked what it forced the scene to yeah. do. It was, a, it was a good choice all around. Uh, five, fighting is something you want to avoid. Once you fight someone, he knows your face. I mean, that's true. It's true, but is it a practical spy advice? Absolutely not. I already knew to avoid fighting and avoid people seeing my face. (laughs) That's why we're doing a podcast. Yes. We've got a face for podcasts. Uh, If you want to turn someone into an asset and turn on the people he loves, you have to get to know him, his frustrations, how he spends his time and money, his hopes and dreams, and then he lists like eight other things. Yeah. Um, If you want to have an asset, you have to learn about them. Yeah. Groundbreaking. Uh, number seven, C4 has a plastic sheen and a putty-like consistency. If you need to fake it, the best thing is cake icing slash fondant. Fondant. So that's a good piece of advice to, like, fake C4. Um, but also, I'm pretty sure cake icing and fondant are... Well, like, technically fondant is icing, yeah, but, but it's, like, gross, like... Yeah. That's a specific kind of yeah, cake Michael icing. Yeah, Michael says it like the terms are interchangeable. Yeah, no, they are not. Just because it's, it's a, you know, a square rectangle thing. Yeah, and it's, like, sort of solid you can make. That's why the cake boss makes things out of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's nasty, so they don't ever actually use it. No, fondant. yeah, it's gross. I don't know why Bruce Campbell is licking it, because nasty. So number eight is, uh, if you need actual homemade C4, use spackle, petroleum jelly, and other things that we're not going to tell you. So this doesn't get to be a practical spy tip because it can't be. Yeah, exactly. But it, and this happens several times throughout the series, that they're like, I'll tell you how to make half a bomb. Yeah. 
We'll compromise. Uh, here's another one. You'd be surprised how many spies pretend to be international men of mystery. Fantasies about glamorous covert ops get people excited. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. And also, yeah. yeah, go to an international conference and there's bound to be spies around. Like, none of this is anything. Be specific. Anyone in the arms trade knows the, that the mark of a pro is the blow and burn, a detonator on whatever you're selling in case the deal goes bad. So this doesn't describe anything, and it was very unclear what he meant by it. It's basically, it happens during the scene where he's in the he's in the junkyard with Ari and, like, is blowing up the real explosives with all the fake explosives I underneath. I think the idea was to explain to the audience that this black thing on top of the C4 was a detonator. I guess, but we know that because he blows it up later. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, and he doesn't explain what the blow and burn means. He just says it, but then they never come back to it. No, it doesn't. It, yeah. was a, it was super unclear. Not a good spy tip. Fuck you, Michael Weston. Yeah. Uh, number 11. Dealing with a blown cupboard is about stalling for time. Stay along long enough to find out what they know and then tell a bigger lie to save yourself. Yeah. That's practical. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, it's also an, an okay scene. Uh, number 12. Riding in a car with a blindfold takes getting used to. Does it? You're just blindfolded. Because, yeah. like, it's... I, I thought that the tip was going to be, like, but if you pay attention to how your body moves, you can tell what turns you're making no. or something. Like, no, 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 it's not that. It's just... It takes him getting used to. And then separately, the good news is the driver is so busy checking on you being blindfolded that they don't notice that they're being followed. I don't feel like that's true. I don't... I A, don't feel like that's true. B, don't feel like that's something that you can always arrange ahead of time. Usually yeah. when you're being blindfolded, you don't know that you're about to be blindfolded. Right. Um, yeah. And also it's not very practical. Anyways, number 13, every operative is a little bit of a control freak. Above all, they don't want to hear that the people they think they own are owned by someone else. It's just like a fact. Yeah. No shit. Uh, and then finally, there's nothing worse for someone who spent time doing intelligence work than being up against a ghost. You can deal with an enemy you know, but an enemy you don't know, he could be anyone or want anything. Spooky. Yeah. The ghost of C. Revington haunts us all. Yes. Um, so that was nothing. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's get to the ratings. So, uh, do, does Michael Weston solve this case with Spycraft? Yes. Yeah. 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 He's, he, he's got an alias. He's yeah. got, you know, the fake C4 ploy, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. He's planting lots of bugs. Not true. And we said that about the identity episode. And so we have to say it about this episode. Because <laughs> it's, it's the, the same, same episode. Yeah. Uh, so number two, uh, is it more practical versus passive? No. no. We've, had a, we've had a several episodes in a row where the spy advice has really been lacking. I mean, again, I think like... We might need to rethink this rule because it, most of them I think are going to fail just because like an episode cannot be held together solely by practical tips. Well, no, yeah. And like, we'll like think about it. But like, yeah, I think it's also a thing where like being like a good television writer isn't necessarily somebody who's good at coming up with these. I don't know, but, like, it feels like it, you have to come up with these, otherwise your spy show gets stale. But, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's... No, yeah, definitely, but I'm just saying, like, it's, like, a specific skill to have. Maybe we can reevaluate it at... Maybe, like, at the end of season one we yeah, can we'll reevaluate, see. but, like, maybe we should reevaluate it uh, as, like, the practical advice that he does give. Is it, like, good? Like, do we think they're interesting and nuanced tips? Yeah, yeah. Like, maybe, maybe we can be more qualitative than quantitative. That's true. Or, like, even just, like, have a different... It's not even that most of them do. That just has to be a minimum that are. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, there's got to be at least, like, four or five that, like, are practical. Do you want to change it to that right now? Um, are we changing the format? We'll, we'll talk about it off mic, and then we'll, okay. like, we'll... All right, so starting episode six, we might have a new rule for this. Exactly. But for right now, there were far, far more passive bullshit observations yeah. than there were practical tips. 
Uh, number three, does he had does he he roll out or revisit a distinct alias? Hell yes, he does. Steve Remington. Steve. He's a name and nothing else. The most effective like moment of Steve Remington, the alias. Is the card. He's leaving the card behind. No, it was very good. Uh, and then are the, the side characters used well? So Fee gets to make homemade explosives and flirts aggressively over them, which is yeah. very Fiona. And then Sam's little, yeah. like, strike three, you're fired. Yeah, that was, was very fun. So three out of four wins. So this... Uh, Apparently. Quanti- this is quantitatively a great Burn Notice episode. And I think that I agree with that. It's a shame that so far the great Burn Notice episodes of Burn Notice are not also great episodes of television. I'm telling you, this might be a common theme. I It might be, but I know some of the later episodes and I'm excited to get to them. Yeah. I know it will not always be a common theme, but yes, we have, quality- we have quantitatively de- determined that this episode is a great Burn... But a bad TV. Yes. <laughs> also, there was no yogurt. So there was no yogurt. I'm, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm tempted to fail it just for it's that. It's almost as if art. It's almost as if art is in a numbers game. Wow. Only suckers say that. So that's the end of our episode. We have determined that episode five of Burn Notice is a great episode of Burn Notice. Bad episode of television. Yeah. Or okay, it's an episode of television. I'm not going to just flat out say this was bad. No, I, I'm going to say it wasn't it was good. Bad. No, it was bad. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, because there are so many, again, every single time there are so many good elements. They just need to get them to all work at the same time. Uh, but I think knowing what I know about the new like FBI style tale, that yeah. things are about to get amped up a little bit, mm-hmm. which I think is going to help a lot. That makes sense. Um, but I guess you'll have to find out about that next week. So thank you so much for listening to Burn Noticed. And thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find more about his music and great talents at vincentel.bandcamp.com. Thank you, Vincent. And um, burned. Burned. <laughs> you burnt. You burnt. See you next week. Bye.